I once watched the popular Mary Had a Little Lamb rhyme on YouTube Kids with my son, which had an interesting take on it. The video was about how this little boy saw faces of animals in the clouds and was waiting to see a lamb in the sky and is extremely happy at the end when he finally sees one. Humans have a tendency to see meaningful images or patterns in random objects. Our brains seek such patterns and rules and goes further to invent patterns if it does not exist. Listen on to this episode where I talk to my co-host Madhvi about all the other scenarios where we are oversensitive to such pattern recognition. Hi, I'm Chitra. I'm Madhvi. I'm Jyoti. I'm Patmaja. Together we are your hosts on the Edge podcast. We bring you stories and experiences from our experiments around learning, marketing and design. These are stories of people, technology, and people interacting through technology of what we see, create and recommend. Hey Jyoti. Hi Madhvi. Hi. I've been thinking a lot about New Zealand's ex-Prime Minister now, Jacinda Ardern, and how she resigned saying she didn't have enough in the tank. I don't think any male CEO or any male leader of any country or organization has ever done this. I really appreciate her guts to say this. Yeah, it is something, a change in fact, in the way leaders have stepped down citing reasons for personal because you'd usually see them as power-hungry or even pop culture for whatever reason portrays anybody in, uh, you know, a, a political power as who wants to go on and on and on forever <laughs> and they're never tired. Yeah, the power struggle. I didn't see that with her. But she has many firsts to her credit. She became the leader of a country at the young age of 37. She's only the second person to have a child while she is in office. And even the way she departed without quoting any external reasons, I think these are all things that make her stand out. But I also feel she fell off the glass cliff. Glass cliff, that's an interesting term. I think we've always heard about the glass ceiling. What is the glass cliff now? Yes, so this was a term that was coined in 2004. Glass cliff basically means that women or minority groups are called in to deal with a really tough situation. So they think these people will do a better job of dealing with a company that's probably going through a bad phase or about to go under or something of that sort because they'll be able to bring all of the employees and stakeholders together. This is the perception. And actually the data shows that people have been able to make sure the company didn't go under even if they were not able to show like very high results. But they made sure the company is still afloat. If you just look at the data though, the data will just say the growth was stagnant at this time. In Jacinda's case, COVID hit. So everybody everywhere around the world were facing the negative impacts of COVID. Considering all that she did, she did keep New Zealand in a very good place. But 20 years down the line, if you look at the data, this is not a period where New Zealand will show growth. So this is also a case of what they call the illusion of validity. 
Let's talk about illusion of validity today as a cognitive bias. So illusion of validity is where person overestimates his ability to make certain decisions based on the patterns they've seen. So the interpretation of the data is valid is what people under this illusion of validity would think. Absolutely, Jyoti. So there are two things that strike me about the illusion of validity. One is that people think they've found certain patterns and they're very convinced that these patterns are all there is. They are not aware or they choose to ignore any other pattern that's there. That is there. And that's why this is called the illusion because it's there but they're not able to see it or actively choosing to ignore it. The other thing is they're very confident that the decision they have made based on this perception is the right decision. Whereas most of the time it shows that it's not the right decision, but they are not ready to accept that. And this is our human fallacy. So why do you think this happens? There are multiple reasons. This is so universal that Harvard Business Review actually did a study of 57 women leaders, mostly from Fortune 1000 companies and a few other private companies. Out of these 57, only five of them actually always wanted to be a CEO. Mm -hmm. Three of them said they felt they were responsible and they just had to rise up to the situation and that is why they were forced to accept the CEO position. All of the others said they were incapable of figuring out they were good for the CEO role until somebody else said you should do it. A mentor or a senior or a trusted colleague. Why? These are women leaders who are doing great at their jobs. They have all the skills and they have like spent a lifetime accumulating all of this. Of course, they would have a trail of achievements, but they're choosing to ignore all of that. And they're looking outside to see who should be the next CEO. Somebody else has to push them. So the data is there, but the pattern that they chose is not exactly the right pattern. And they're very confident. And this is a misplaced confidence that somebody else is the right person for this role. Why not them? about people being confident or overconfident in uh, doing something or in making some decision which might not always be right but this is we're seeing women being confident that, that they're not fit enough yeah we see this in women at every level so it, it could also be a bit of conditioning it could be a little bit of the environment where women or minority groups have to struggle a lot more to achieve what somebody in a somebody in a privileged position can achieve with a little less effort i think another reason why people behave in this way is finding patterns or finding meaning or associating some kind of meaning to patterns is a very natural human tendency uh, i heard there's a term called uh, pareidolia or for example uh, we have we play games where we identify patterns we look at the cloud and you know identify a pattern that you see and uh, that's a very simple example of how you know, literally from kids we like to uh, associate some inanimate object with a pattern that you can identify and this pattern recognition uh, making sense of a pattern is what uh, people tend, have always relied on and I think that sense of uh, creating connections or patterns can also lead us to this kind of illusion that whatever we are interpreting out of the data that we have is right. Absolutely. I also think there's also another thing at play here, which is that we as humans cannot make sense of a lot of different data. Like we don't know how to handle big data. 
there may be so many patterns out of it we will recognize one or two that we are most familiar with and just run with it like you always keep saying jyoti this is a mental shortcut mm-hmm. so that contributes a lot to this illusion of validity also there are many other related biases or different sub cognitive biases that can uh, contribute to this illusion of validity right uh, we've spoken in our earlier episodes about how our memories are affected by something called uh, recall and recognition that is uh, what we recall and recognize could be very further from the truth of what the actual uh, incident that has happened so you know even our memories succumb to this bias yeah jyoti i think that's really true and you know most of the times they say history is written by the winners or the successful people right so most of the time when we really write home about things are the things that we feel we've achieved and when we are in that we're gloating and feeling happy that this product or thing has been successful very rarely we actually share and do in depth analysis of our failures so this means when you are looking at writing about your successful uh, venture or achievement and you're retrospecting on what happened and what led to this you may not remember exactly all of the struggles that have gone into this or your mind will tell you that oh you already knew this whereas when you're actually in the moment and in the building phase you probably did not there's a uh, this retrospective bias that also comes into play so our mind is playing all kinds of tricks and even knowing that it is doing all of this there's really nothing we can do about it you know it reminds me of the incident in our mahabharata where uh, yudhishthira agrees to play dice with duryodhana and shakuni and he chooses anyway but he may probably made that decision because he played once before and you know he won and that data he interpreted in a way that he can always win probably <laughs> perhaps he was so confident that he'll always win and yeah we know the rest of the story absolutely that's a wonderful example jyoti and i think this is where i think this is why data scientists joke that you can tease any truth out of any data set if you just try hard enough <laughs> so jyoti i think a lot about this illusion of validity in connection with chatgpt and even google's bard last week google released their competitor for chatgpt called bard right and the inter- there's a interesting incident that happened along with the introduction in the ad a question is given to bard saying what new discoveries from the james webb space telescope can i tell my 9 year old about and bard comes up with a lot of different answers knowing very well that even chat gpt or any of these ai tools can come up with wrong or misleading facts despite knowing that google didn't fact check this ad so the ad actually says that the james webb space telescope was the first to take pictures of a planet outside the solar system that is wrong why didn't google fact check this i think the makers of this ad just fell prey to this illusion of validity they just assumed that what's coming out of this ai chatbot is true i think it's a great example of how ai can also be fallible nowadays i mean at least we're not there yet and i think including me i've been using a lot of chat gpt but i am just going ahead and accepting most of the answers <laughs> 
might be under the illusion of validity just because it's coming from you know seemingly intelligent chatbot. Yeah, so the pattern is that we have called this intelligence, so we've also given it a lot of trust. That's interesting. But this mistake costed Alphabet a lot. Its shares tanked by 9% right away. So that reminds me of how if you are a serious trader, um, you know, or invest in the stock markets, you could also easily fall prey to this concept of illusion of validity, right? Uh, you can easily stick to the pattern that you've seen over the years and you might assume even in future or when you are stock picking or buying something, you will go under the illusion that that data is valid and make your purchase. But there's so many instances where the stock markets have always surprised you. Absolutely. And I think studies have shown that the majority of amateur day traders are actually not doing so well. They're probably better off spending all that time and money doing other things which will make them more profitable than spending all this time and earning the measly returns that they get if they didn't actually lose a lot. So unless you're like a pro and really good at it, I'm not sure many pros are also gaining a lot by this kind of day trading because there's only so much your human brain can process. I think that's why... I recently, the news, uh, the founder of Zerodha, Nitin Kamat, said that they don't have a data team, in fact, <laughs> probably for the same reason. I think they saved themselves a lot of different patterns and all the policies that might come out of it. But I'm not sure if that, how good that is as an engineering team. But Zerodha has unconventional ways of doing stuff. So I am going to keep watching. <laughs> Jyoti, you were talking about the news. Have you noticed how some of us tend to get uh, the same kind of news? And all of this is due to the algorithms that the social media channels are using. So we get into all of these different echo chambers and all the people in my clique or in my echo chamber will be getting similar set of views. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what we experience firsthand in the way my Facebook feed or my Twitter feed or any social media feed, the way I see uh, news or the way I consume news is always leading towards my beliefs of confirming my set of interpretations or my beliefs more and more than giving me anything different from my perspective. I think this is something that companies can make use of in a positive way. Like they can build a community around their product or their service. And then in that community, what's most likely to happen? There'll be some people who are promoters of your product. And then there'll be others who are followers who, yes, they like what's happening, but they're not, they don't feel so strongly about it that they have to speak on top of the, you know, like share this out with everybody. And then there'll be the detractors. And the detractors will obviously just like fall out of that community. So who ends up being in that community long run? People who are using your product or fans of you or your service. I feel like that might be a good way for you to make sure that your users are sticky and they're sticking around longer with you. Yeah. So is that a good thing or not? I don't know. If your product is good, I think it's a good thing. If your product is not good, then it's not good for the user. So <laughs> like always, um, there is no right or wrong for any cognitive bias. 
talking about your product already has built a certain kind of community and if you have for example a new feature or a new product that you want to market to you cannot probably go under the same illusion that those same set of users would be the right target audience conduct proper market research so that you can you are able to segment your audience and then market to them so you are going to market only to a subset of your former customers or old users right exactly I think the illusion here is that because we have a set of users who are already following our product, you might think that even a new feature would be appropriate for them. Yeah, research about how your product is doing is really hard. I agree with that. This is not just a problem of today. This has been around for a really long time. I remember this uh, incidence about the World War aircrafts. So Germany saw that when planes returned from the war, they used to have bullet holes on certain areas of the plane. So the logical conclusion of the researchers there were, these are the parts that are getting hit the most. So let's reinforce these and make them stronger so that the planes don't go down. But what is the illusion here? The illusion is that they are missing data. Finally, another a Hungarian um, statistician was brought into the picture and he pointed out that they did not have data about the planes that actually crashed. So what do you know here? The parts that stayed intact are the most vulnerable parts, he figured out. When the plane is hit in those areas, like uh, the engine or the tail, that's when the aircraft goes down. So that aircraft is not coming back for you to study and be part of your new research. So his recommendation turned out to be that reinforce those areas where you're not seeing the bullet holes because if they get hit, the plane's going down. That's fantastic. It's a great find, right? You are thinking out of the box like that because you know when you uh, salvage something out of the wreckage, you're obviously not going to find the mistakes of what, what might have happened in on an already destroyed part. Yeah, but this idea of not having data is something that we come across in our daily lives also, Jyoti. Mm -hmm. We do so much user research and a lot of user research also happens through surveys. When you want to reach out in large numbers or get large number of opinions, you can't sit and physically talk to a thousand people. We don't have the luxury of time or resources for that. So what do you do? You send out these surveys and sometimes you get the survey responses and you have all of these blanks. How do you interpret the blank? Does blank mean that there is no data? Does it mean that the person chose not to answer or they chose to actively hide information from you? Or, you know, it's just not applicable. So all of these three scenarios can be represented as a blank if you don't design your survey properly. The, it gets even worse when instead of a blank, they put a zero. <laughs> what is a zero? Is the zero a valid number or does it mean that any of the other three that we just talked about? So the survey design also has to think about what is your data actually telling you? Because if you cannot distinguish between the different reasons, then the outcome you get out of this data is going to be an illusion. So how do you think we can overcome this bias? So the first thing that comes to my mind is about um, how we're always looking for the data to tell a coherent story. Not always that data telling us a story is important for us. And that's, that's when we might be way off from what the actual truth is. We probably are 
under the illusion that the story that the data is telling is valid. That's right, Jyoti. I think some ways we can try to do it is like look at the complete data set that you have. Is it complete? Are you does your data represent all the possible situations that can happen here? Or are you missing out some information about things just because it didn't happen in the time frame when you gathered this data? The other thing we can do is seek out different opinions about this to see what other interpretations others can come up with. Use AI tools, maybe, but still you need experts to judge the results of AI. I don't feel that AI is can do everything by itself. You do need a little bit of uh, human context to figure out if even your AI algorithm is churning out the right set of uh, inferences. You know what, Jyoti? I think casinos do a very good job of making use of this illusion of validity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Consider a person sitting and playing something like a roulette, which is actually a random trial. Mm-hmm. The odds of you getting any number is always fixed. But when a person sees that maybe their lucky number seven has come three times already, they're 100% sure, or at least most people are, that the fourth time, it's not going to be a seven. In reality, the probability of getting a seven is just the same as it was in any of the previous times. It's not changed, but they're not going to bet on a seven. Just because of the way things work, probabilistically, you may not get a seven, but you may also get a seven with an equal probability. So people will continue to bet. I, I Maybe that's why apps like Swiggy, Amazon, and even Cred, you know, I have always have these games in their apps so that people are hooked to it and they're like, you know, trying, trying out their luck. You know, I'm probably these apps are making use of illusion of validity for them <laughs> to get more and more people onto their platforms. Absolutely. And even I will continue trying all of those, trying my luck at all of those. Definitely. We spoke previously about how data can change our perception of reality. I want to share an instance from my work experience a few years ago when I was still a young engineer working in the ad tech world. So at that time, we were in the process of migrating our services from an old service to a new service design. We were doing this in phases because every hour we were processing millions of ad requests. So the amount of transactions going through each of each individual server was in thousands. This migration project went on for weeks because we also wanted to make sure a lot of the downstream reports were all intact and there was no error. Simultaneously, our business teams came up with the problem that the conversions on Android phones were dropping. This was way back in 2013, 2014, something like that, when ad industry was at a point of changing over from using individually identifiable device IDs to using an advertising ID. Apple had made the switch the switch was just happening on Androids. So when this happened, people thought maybe it's because we were migrating from our old service to our new service. There's something entirely wrong in the new service. And that's why this is happening. Mind you, all of this data is reflecting after many weeks because conversions don't necessarily come in immediately. So you have to look over a period of days to see when the conversion actually came in. 
So there's a lag in when the things are happening in our data center to when it's being detected by us. So a lot of theories came up. Ultimately, I did a lot of research and finally it boiled down to one if then else clause. This is the highlight of my career over there, finding this one if then else clause. What was happening was just in the way we were reporting conversions. This was because the industry had switched and our software was lagging. As my colleague used to call this, this was software archaeology. <laughs> so we were under the illusion that things were going wrong and even considered rolling back to the old service. But the problem was that our assumptions were wrong. And when we started digging through the data, we realized where our assumptions were wrong and we were able to fix it. You must have had quite a few stressful weeks, months, was it? <laughs> Yeah, people were convinced I was looking for a needle in a haystack where the needle did not exist. But I'm glad I found it. <laughs> Funny thing illusions are, right? A lot of people are scared of flying, I mean, sitting in an aeroplane because it, it does seem like a very daunting thing. But the fact is, the odds of dying in a plane crash is 1 in 11 billion. Whereas the chances of dying in a car crash is more likely at 1 in 5,000. Your chance of being struck by lightning in your lifetime is 1 in 3,000. So you're far more likely to probably die in a car crash or being struck by a lightning than actually by flying on an airplane. So my dog is more scared of lightning or rather the thunder than he is of aircrafts. Maybe he has some sixth sense here. He's absolutely right. Subscribe to the Edge podcast on your favorite podcast channel. We are on Google, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and more. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. If you have stories to share and want to be featured on our podcast, write to us at podcasts at adepticlabs.com.